Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Oi, oi. Oi, oi. Hello, mate. Cheers. I'm back. My beer's still here. Thank you for keeping it safe. That's all right. That's your beer. I was going to say safe and warm. If you'd have kept it safe and warm, I would have been livid. It's safe and ice cold. So my good friend joins me this week on the show, Stephen Hill. Uh, Stephen now joins the likes of John Lydon, Gene Simmons, Mm. Stephen Graham, the upper echelons of guests here on Life in the Stocks. Well, I figured I've been on your show a few times in recent times. You've been on the Patreon page doing some bonus podcasts Mm. over there. And it was time to not just return the favor and get you on, but also delve into your story. And uh, I think that a lot of people who either already listen to this podcast mm. or will be listening to it now because you're on it will have a an interest in podcasting an interest in alternative music and probably an interest in what it's like to work in the music industry which we've both been doing now for for several years yeah. um we met whilst working at team rock a couple of years ago mm-hmm. but before we get to that your break in the industry as it were was um through Metal Hammer, right? Through the podcast first and yeah, then writing for the magazine. It was odd. I get people. So what was up go- to what me. was going on in your life at that point in time before Metal Hammer comes into your periphery and then the doors open and you're all of a sudden in the industry, like, oh wow, here so we to, are. To go right back, I was obviously when I was growing up, I loved music massively, hugely, was kind of obsessed with music. Uh, I was in a band, our band played a bunch of gigs with people like 
Raging Speed on and Funeral for a Friend and a lot of the kind of big British bands of the the kind of rock and metal bands of, of from Britain at, at the kind of late nineties, early two thousands. So I met a lot of people from bands who would go on to be not just you know like the, I've known the guys in Skin Dread for a very very long time through that. Um, and I, just, I guess loads of other people in the industry, people like yeah, Alan Day. Alan, I mean Alan put my back. Alan Day who. Um, who works for Kilimanjaro and was kind of the, the dude, one of the main dudes behind Sonosphere, which is one of the very, very big breaks. I know like Alan put my band on a bunch of times. So I was in this band and I met a bunch of people and then we split up. And I, when I was a kid, before I got into music, before I got really obsessive about music, I wanted to be an actor. So I went to drama school um, after university. I basically binned off university to sort of talk. What were you doing at uni? Uh, performing arts. Okay, so you were doing that at uni, but it just wasn't in, really. Yeah, but it wasn't connecting with you. Yeah, something that I particularly and it was you know it was you don't go to university to become an actor. You go to university to learn that you are never going to be an actor. That was what that course was, sort of preparing you for the, the fact that you were going to fail. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do something else, I always wanted to be an actor when I was a kid. I was like massively into cinema. I think as we discussed on the Beetlejuice Patreon, we did, show that we, we did. did, and um. So I did a year at drama school, a kind of um, a master's degree in acting. Whilst the band's happening or after? No, no, we split be- up. Right, so and the I band's like, over and you're like, I'm back out. to acting it is. Yeah. And so I went to drama school and uh, I kind of struggled with that as well. Is really, that because really of what drama students are like or just the, as you say, yeah. the financial element? Well, both really. I mean, financially, it was crippling. It's like eight grand a year. Wow. For those drama schools. Yeah, that's heavy duty fees. And I did it kind of on a whim so i worked for about four or five months full-time after finishing uni and then just went i'm gonna go to drama school and then tried to kind of save up some money my mum remortgaged her house to try and get me through drama school shout out mama but then i came out of drama school and i went on a bunch of auditions and stuff and i you know i i I still speak to a lot of the guys i went to drama school with i made some really really good friends in that year um what kind of an actor did you see yourself in the vein of because everybody has their benchmark i think of well i think i was style wanted to be I, i i tried not to be a comedy actor but i always got given the people would go you got to do the comedy part and you know i did when we did um we did the merchant of venice and um and i played uh shylock's kind of comedy sidekick right and the guy playing Sy- um shylock actually i think this was the moment when i realized i wasn't going to be an actor because my mate my mate Dav, Dav Gadami, who you may know as kush from eastenders um he was shylock uh, he's also in strictly come dancing 2 years back as well um, he was Shylock and I remember being stood on stage while he was doing that very famous you know Shylock monologue and being completely taken out of the character and just looking at him and going he's amazing now you'd think dude on EastEnders doesn't necessarily have to be a great actor I, I can absolutely promise you that that guy is a fucking phenomenal actor and when you see him you know he's made it to a certain point a very decent you know that's great for a lot of actors but he's not a household name he's not a well-respected actor um i never i can i could never have got close to doing what he did on that stage like, he was amazing absolutely amazing and um some people just have that gift yeah, don't man, they it, and, and I was they can like, just slip into that other person and space and inhabit it and he did he like he was so good at that he was like in that in that particular show he was just he was so unbelievable. And I just remember sitting there going, well, if ever I go into an audition, it's between me and him. I'm fucked. 
I'm not a hope in hell. And there might be two of him in every like drama school in the country, plus the people that have already been working. So I came out sort of feeling like daunted by the idea of doing it. I had an agent. I went to a bunch of auditions. I got a couple of them. Um, I didn't really like the audition process. I didn't really like actors. I didn't really feel comfortable doing that stuff. And I very, very quickly kind of fell out of love with it. And then I started doing stand-up comedy. Is that because you were aware whilst you were training to become an actor that you had a, a comic pers- persona? And I just you, got you... told that a lot. I mean, I always loved stand-up comedy. I watched... I remember um, Richard Pryor Live in Concert came out on DVD. was kind of re-released on DVD. Best. And I just remember watching that and thinking, this is so perfect. And he makes it look so effortless. And again, through doing stand-up, you know, I... I did all right at stand-up. I gave stand-up a much better crack than I gave acting and probably a much better crack than I gave um, being in a band as well. And, um, you know... How did you get on with the live show? Um, and where did you sort of peak, would you say? What would be the notable notches on your belt if um, you're saying you gave it a good go? Well, I, the first gig I ever did was at the Comedy Store with Jimmy Carr and it's available on one of his DVDs. And then far too early, a lot of opportunities came my way. So I auditioned for Peep Show... I didn't get it. Um, I did a couple of sketches on something called the Channel 4. It was going to be a channel. They're going to launch a Channel 4 radio. And they were going to have this kind of like daily show style Channel 4 sort of topical sketch show. And they recorded it live in front of a sort of studio audience. And I did the pilot and did a, like a, a good sketch in the pilot. I kind of came up with my best idea. Did this kind of um, sketch in the pilot. And they were like, yeah, we want you to come on. We want you to do more stuff. So I, And then I, I, you walk into a room with your little sketches that you've written that week and you see Frankie Boyle, Russell Brand, Ricky Gervais, um, Katie Brand, who went on to have her own ITV2 show, Richard Herring, uh, Greg Davies, um, who's Mr. Gilbert in, mm, yeah, yeah. in between us. Um, Simon His and, new stand-up special uh, on Netflix is yeah, brilliant as well. Simon, and, and Simon Bird and Joe Thomas, who was doing a double act, who were Will and, um, and Simon in the in-between as well, who were fucking so brilliant. They were fucking brilliant. Like it's such a shame that there's no. I don't think there's any evidence of their double act, but they did this amazing, like kind of um, uh, children's entertainers double act, and it was fucking brilliant. They were almost the best. I, I used to be like, they're the best ones. They're incredible. Like Tony Law. Like this- well, that's some pedigree fucking yeah, material. Dude, and right I've been there. Doing Obviously, they're not the people we know them as now, mm. but it was evident, was it, from from then yeah, it, that they well, were all onto something very special because they were all gifted. And- Again, like if you, to magnify how I felt stood on stage with Darth when he was doing Shylock by 50 times mm-hmm. to go into that room and see those people, see Greg Davis, just shit a monologue off the top of his head and make it look easy. And this is the thing when, you know, I, I, I've done shows with people, with Michael McIntyre, with, um, with Russell Howard, um, with Lee Mack and, you see them on, t- and you know, those are three comics who I wouldn't personally watch the DVD of, right? I don't but they're all massive. Live, but they're massive. They are obviously massive. And you see them, you see them live in those uh, those early gigs. They they were incredible. Like McIntyre, particularly impossible. Like he he was. He, he, I remember doing a night that he compared, and no one wanted the acts to come on because McIntyre was just fucking dynamite like every do 20 minutes in between each act of improvised stuff that had the whole fucking club going berserk you look at him now and people go oh vanilla wank rubbish like the dude he's doing that because he that's what he needs to do to to sell out the o2 but if he wanted to be you know 
cult comic fucking genius then he could do that he could do that and that's the thing with stand-up is people think like oh, it looks really easy and it is so difficult man it's so difficult and particularly when you've been going a year like maybe 10 months i've been going when this came along i was so far out of my depth and after that you know the stuff just dried up and i felt like i had to work from the very very bottom open mic nights and stuff to get to a level where i felt like i was half good yeah because you have to pay your dues right and you hadn't because you kind of come straight out of this drama school and straight into quite as you say a Mm. privileged position but you haven't done that groundwork that hones your chops yeah um here's a very quick side note question do you think that it's the same with comedy and music or to more of an extent in comedy that people truly need to quote unquote sell out to hit the mainstream success because the list of people that you mentioned there nowadays as you say do seem very unchallenging mm. and kind of you know un- not unoriginal but do you know what i mean that there's not really there doesn't seem to be like an edge it's ma- yeah, to their it's work anymore comedy yeah and with bands obviously you see it a lot a band like red hot chili peppers is probably the best example of their early work and how progressive and incredible it was and then the minute they hit hey oh listen what i see and it's that set it's that middle of the road is it even more of that case with comedy do you think because as big as Stuart Lee is, like he's never going to be doing arenas, or would he? I think Stuart Lee could do an arena now. Yeah, um, I I don't think he will, and I don't think he wants to, but I think he could. Right. I think there's, you know, like any, I guess, like any art form. Unfortunately, people's attention spans are lower. People's level of, oh, that's I want to sound like a snob. People's level of intelligence maybe isn't. People aren't as open to things that don't grab them immediately i just funny actually i saw a review today i was buying some vinyl on amazon as i like to do and i saw someone gave a one star review for spirit of eden by talk talk which is one of the best <laughs> albums ever and he and was like just nothing happened mug on the internet yeah. yeah but he's like nothing happens and i was just like are you mad like you're not listening you're not listening that's one of the rare occasions where i think you can go you're not listening properly yeah go and listen to it again properly actually fucking listen to it but you know you you wonder how what else he listens to you wonder like what else he's been exposed to that's like you know he, he needs that instant well everyone's a critic nowadays aren't they of course and that's are, the yeah. perfect I segue love reading into um, the next stage of your career yeah i love i mean i love reading TripAdvisor reviews and stuff <laughs> i mean that guy actually like this is a bit of a tangent but that guy has he got his own profile and did you go down I the did, rabbit hole yeah, of I course he did. All this stuff. he gives everything five or one he gave an, a manila envelope one star because he wanted an a4 one and they delivered a c4 one that's not the envelope mate that's not the envelope that's you you press the wrong fucking button and he's given that one star unbelievable the fucking nerve of that guy anyway that's the world though now isn't it that is the world in which we live everybody is a critic so you decide although you've had a good run of it and you enjoy it that comedy perhaps isn't the career well for you i mean that isn't really how it happened to be honest like basically i got asked by it this is where it kind of comes sort of full circle so I went to see Skinjeds at the Electric Ballroom in 2009, and I'd just come back from doing my, my third show at Edinburgh. So I did Edinburgh. I did four shows at Edinburgh. So is that four years every summer? Uh, yeah, well, actually, that year I was doing two. Right. So I did kind of one at the first half and then another one in the second half. So I did one the year before. I did two that year, and then I had like two years off, and then I did my last one. Um, 
which is probably my best one. No one fucking turned up to it. No one reviewed it. Well, I'll get to that. Um, and um, Not even our mate on Amazon. No. <laughs> yeah. he, he would have probably given it, uh, well, one or five. Yeah, yeah. I mean, probably one. Um, but yeah, so I came back and I went to see Skin Dread and Alan, Alan Day, who we mentioned earlier, um, was there. And I was like, dude, I've not seen you for what must have been like, nine seven eight nine years or so and um and he was like you know what are you up to and blah, blah blah and we got chatting and he was doing sonosphere and he was like you should come to sonosphere it'd be great so you know I, I sort of kept in touch and stuff and then one day he was like do you want to do the comedy tent at sonosphere and i was like oh my god with like metallica and biffy and it was slipping it was the year that the big four played and I was like, fuck, you know, like, of course, of course I do. And so I went down and I did, and I got really lucky because I was, I was A, absolutely sort of pissing down just before I came on. So loads of people came in the tent. And B, I was on at the same time as Yumi at six, which is exactly what you want because no one who goes to Sonosphere wants to watch Yumi at six, right? Um, uh, or indeed any festival, you might say. I, I was <laughs> yeah. waiting for that. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't actually going to say that because lots of people do want to watch Yumi at six and, you know, um, may God have mercy on their soul. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, so I did this this set and um, and it went down really well and it was packed. It was great. And I got this massive buzz and ran off and went and watched Weezer. And then um, i become kind of chummy from hanging out with certain people and meeting through people i met this guy gil who was the uh editor-in-chief at the time of metal hammer and he texted me and said you know we're going to do um we don't have anyone on the podcast at the moment um apart from me who's been doing it do you want to come and review sonosphere on the podcast and be like the guest and i was like yeah that sounds cool it sounds really good so i went down and i did it and he was like afterwards he said that was great it was really funny come back next week and for a few weeks, it was just like, yeah, come back next week, come back next week. And in the end, it was just, you, you're the guy who is now... His co-host. on the co Yeah, the co-host yeah. of the Metal Hammer podcast, which I'd never listened to before. So I didn't know. Like I bought Metal Hammer and I was like massively, obsessively would buy Metal Hammer. So I knew who Gil was. Um but you know but he just become like a kind of mate that, that i'd been speaking to and stuff and and it was just this thing where suddenly it was really exciting but you've also got to justify he's a comedian like why is he talking to me about music I well really the metal community in particular like kind of the rock community as a whole but particularly the metal community is very unaccepting of people that they don't feel are credible <laughs> and i saw kate lawler get a lot of that yeah. on Kerrang and Kerrang was you know a fairly mm-hmm. poppy station as far as the rock press goes you know yeah. because we were playing like the wanna dies and stuff like that and Kate would get a lot of that what does she know about rock she was on Big Brother and so yeah I'm aware that there is that there's that suspicion isn't there mm. of he's an outsider yeah it was it was weird because there but obviously was, you're a huge metalhead so yeah and so there was a bit of that but then also I was kind of genuinely excited to be on the something to do with metal hammer and uh they'd they need to burp. just get it out mate come on i'm not i can't um it's, <laughs> I I've can't. kind of no i've got like acid refluxy sort of like anyway um but i, I basically like 
they had cultivated a really fucking cool audience of kids who were really kind of open to stuff. And when I started talking about bands like Cave In and Will Haven and Neurosis and, you know, the, the uh, and Refuse, particularly Refuse, because Refuse reformed around this time. And I went batty about it. It was like, oh my God, Refuse, like, you know, obviously I fucking adore Refuse. And I went crazy. You have to listen to this band. You have to listen to this band. And I think a few of the people who were younger, who weren't aware of those bands, when they became aware of those bands, like a lot of people said to me, you know, I, the first time I listened to the Dillinger Escape Plan was you talking about them on the Melhammer podcast or Converge or, you know, a lot of these really, really big bands. So I just assumed everyone knew, you know, I was like, oh, you must know between the buried and me or whatever because i've been listening to them for 10 years but there was an audience there who were 16 17 who you know were probably listening to asking alexandria or black Brides or whatever you know whatever kind of big band were happening at the time and a lot of kids have gone you know they're not kids anymore either really they're young adults have sort of said that was the first time I heard that band. And that was a really cool thing. It's the ultimate reward. Yeah. In this game, like switching people on to new art and changing people's opinions on things they might already think that they know about, but perhaps haven't seen it in, Mm. you know, I was about to say the right way, but you know, different light. But it's the greatest reward because then they go, oh my God, like this has opened up a whole new world of possibility in my life. Mm. And I mean, I think one of the, one of the, the, my sort of favourite, favourite memories from, from that period was I went to, because Refuse did two nights at the Forum when they came back in London, which holds about sort of two and a half thousand people. Um, so, the Forum is exactly that, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so you're looking at sort of 5,000 people over two nights, which is insane for a band who, I think, played the, the last show they'd played in Britain before that was in front of about 20 people in Leeds. So it was mental. And so I was unbelievably excited and the first night felt like this reunion of all people from the punk scene that i grew up hanging out with and the and with the gig was amazing and i went on the next night and it was a lot of people who hadn't bought their tickets straight away it was a lot of young people who you know for whatever reason had gone i wouldn't mind seeing that and then the first night sold out and then when the second night got added they went yeah i will take a punt on seeing this kind of old reformed band who i don't really know much about and that night was ele- like the first night was amazing, but the second night was electric. I think it's might be the best gig I've ever been to. It was fucking unbelievable, and I remember sort of just staring at the stage as everyone just filed out and refused to let. And I was like, I'm staying here till they switch the amps off and the house lights go down and someone forces me out the door. And this guy came up to me, was like a teenager, and he was like, I've got this, and he had the refuse set list. He's like, I've got this. I've got this off the security, off the roadie. Um, but I want you to have it because I wouldn't have heard this band without you. And I was like, that's, I wouldn't give that away to me. <laughs> like, fuck that. I would, if I got that, I'd be like, I don't give a shit who told me about this band first. I'm keeping it. But, um, but yeah, it was really like, that was one of the sort of first times that someone had come up and done something like that. And it was, I don't, you know, you don't do it. That's not a reason to, to talk about those bands. But, that was kind of um it's a beautiful uh, thing it was a really like touching gesture that i felt like i probably wasn't worth do you know what i mean well no one is worth that it's whether or not you quote unquote earn it do you know what i mean and earning is perhaps the wrong word even earning it i don't think i earned that i just felt like um i think i realized 
it's things like that that make you realize the sort of the power of music that someone would know would be that kind of inspired not even by by my words to listen to a band and then love that band that much and then know that that band mean that much to me that that kind of it's a weird it's a weird connection to people because ultimately i always think well the music's the bands are the things that you should be talking about and talking to and kind of having a relationship with not me like i'm just a sort of that's the beautiful thing about music though is it's this kind of bringing together and you know people look for that in religion Mm. and various things but i think music has that communal expressive tying power yeah that brings people who would perhaps never hang out or talk to each other anywhere else in the world Mm. do you know what i mean like there's certain people i think that I'm friends with few music, but I wouldn't be friends with them were it not for certain bands. Yeah. And it's, that's, it's, that's the magic of it, the power and the magic. Mm. And that was, um, yeah, that was the sort of the first time that happened. Look at us getting all soft. Well, mate, I mean, you know, <laughs> it, it was, that was like, it was kind of, it was, it was a mixture of kind of lovely and, and weird. Like I said, I was like, you don't have to give me this. This is, I'm just, I just go and sit like we're doing now. We're essentially just having a conversation and if I go, ah, oh, you know, whoever's listening, you should listen to to Cave In. Like, that doesn't feel like anything that should be rewarded. I hope everyone does. And it's not because of, I don't want people to come and pat me on the back for it. I want them because I want people to listen. I want them to get the recognition. That well, you've, you've nailed it there because that's what that kid saw in you was you weren't someone who could considered himself a tastemaker that was looking for validation mm-hmm. or kudos you were just so passionate about this band and you just oozed and screamed sincerity and he recognized that sincerity that's very nice in, thing in your passion and that's passion is infectious it's like a positive disease isn't it mm. and if you talk passionately about something whether it's politics or whatever people are going to go well even if i don't agree with it he's passionate about it so i'm going to think about it in a different way yeah. and then they go check it out and they go oh my god i love it too thank you so much for just being sincere mm. I mean, have a set list. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. And I got refused to sign it a couple of years ago as well. And it's oh, it's the one that's now in the wall there. Because yeah. I always thought that you wouldn't be the kind of person that would frame a set list. But now I know that story. That makes yeah, it's the complete and utter sense. It's yeah, the only one, yeah. yeah. Um, but so that I know because of... I've snooped around every corner <laughs> yeah, of your you flat um, and the numerous times I've stayed here. And that's a beautiful thing. So you're doing the podcast full time and then... Do you then get invited to become a staff writer as well? Or? So what, what happened basically was Gil left. Now, Gil was someone who is still a really, really good friend of mine and a lovely, lovely man, but kind of checked out from rock music, essentially. When he left Metal Hammer magazine um, to go and become gentrified in Norfolk, which is what he does now. Uh, oh, he, my God, um, here she is. He uh, basically um, he handed it over to Merlin, um, who is the current editor of Metal Hammer, who was the online editor at the time. Me and Mel didn't really know each other and um, it was weird that we sort of we almost had our first conversation between the two of us on the Metal Hammer podcast. We didn't know each other for shit, but we got on really well straight away and um, it just sort of spiralled like he said um, you know I think they were, they were doing something where online they wanted to, us to do Get this cat the down. Metal Hammer's <laughs> favourite five I can't album. work in these conditions. I've got an ass in my face. This, mate. 
That's Sorry, the everyone. The cat being removed. Um, <laughs> Forcibly removed from the situation. So they were like, you need to come up with your five favorite albums of the first six months of the year and then write a little blog about it. So that's what I did. And Merlin read it and was like, it's very good, actually. Like, I'm going to recommend that maybe we use you as a writer as well. And... Um, and uh, Jonathan, the features editor, was and the, sorry, the reviews editor was like, here's a couple of albums to review. He sent me to go and review Feed the Rhino, and then a couple of days later to review the Bronx. And then I did a couple of new band pieces, and then Amit, who was the features editor at the time, um, gave me my first feature about five six months after that. And also Alex, Alex Mylas, um, who's uh, a lovely man. Um, he was like come and host the golden gods as well so at that point you know within sort of a year i really felt like i was part of the 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 metal hammer family the sort of fabric of 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 metal hammer magazine and you know and all from a stand-up gig at sonosphere right pretty much basically yeah and with no kind of you know i i hadn't written any blogs i hadn't written for any other magazines i hadn't written for any online stuff you know i just kind of got in straight away so i still i was always like i don't really know i kind of learned is that because you're an avid reader of magazines and obviously you're probably like an avid play reader book reader script reader yeah i mean i've I've, I've, like i've written scripts and stuff before i've obviously written my stand-up but i'd actually written plays and stuff and i've written sitcom ideas and stuff before so i had written a lot um and i do read a lot as well um i certainly read metal hammer i've been reading music magazines since i was about 14 so I don't know if it was just like I kind of knew how those things looked yeah. in my head. Um, not that I'm saying that you know I was immediately brilliant at it, but I at least was like, okay, I feel like I know how you're supposed to put these sort of things together. Well, and the key thing that you had, which you can't really learn overnight, is the knowledge, the deep ingrained knowledge, because you've been listening to that music your whole life, mm. Mm. and you can just pull out references. Yeah, I think that's pretty important. Yeah. Massive. Right. I mean, I noticed that when we started working on the radio is you'd just be able to go from there, from A to B to C, and then, you know, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K was all filled in already as well, and you didn't need to take time to sort of... No, I'm a bit, I'm a bit obsessive, and I think I, I, I've gone through various different obsessions over my... Time any I don't know about? Any I should be worried about? No, not really, no. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, but... I, but music's the only one that's kind of stuck yeah. fully all the time. You know, when about ten years ago, I was, I was, I was obsessed. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with football. I got obsessed with actors, like knowing every single actor in every single film. I wouldn't just want to know who the two top two were. I'd want to know like who the fucking dude who turns up on the door to deliver the pizza was. Like, what else has he been in? What else has he been in? What's his name? What's his CV? And and I kind of got like that with music. Like, I want to know. Uh, who produced it who mixed yeah, it who mixed it who produced it where it was recorded yeah. what year it came out what else the people did that year you know like who's the bass player in the screaming trees you know, like that so you're obviously you're getting a lot of action with the ladies as a kid is what you're saying right <laughs> no <laughs> quite the opposite of that Matthew <laughs> that's where you had time to nerd up <laughs> yeah it pays to be a nerd it does yeah it does it pays up in the end and so um, how, how long had you been writing for Hammer before the idea of Team Rock as this new company is put forward and you're invited to be a part of it so basically what because you would have probably found out about it before me yeah um, because i would have been on kerrang at the time up until they closed in june 2013 i don't actually know because i mean basically i came in to do the podcast one day and i've been doing it uh this is kind of i want to say like 
mid-summer 2013, right? So um, I was getting ready to do my last Edinburgh show, uh, what became my last Edinburgh show. And I was sitting, like we were doing the podcast and at the start of it, Merlin went, we've been bought out by this company. Don't worry, like nothing's going to happen and blah, 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 blah. It's called Team Rock. It's going to be this thing. It's really, really exciting. They've got loads of good plans for us. So hopefully there'll be more content and more stuff happening and it'll be all this. Co- and I just went, you know, okay, well, right. oh, I didn't know that. Right, cool. And yeah, because you've was- got no experience of the industry larger than the magazine office no, at this no, point. No, no, not at that point. And that's a crazy realization, isn't it? When that hits, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's this machine at play. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I guess that's one of the things when people go like, oh, I like your honesty and stuff. I guess like my friends, I've spent the first 32 years of my life speaking about music, like with my friends and your friends don't go, well, I would, you know, I kind of feel like this about it, but I don't want that PR to not give me the next album that they've got. So I'm going to tip and around it a little yes. bit where I've never, I didn't know that was a thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think that's where a lot of that came from. I just didn't know that you were meant to not tell the truth about, or your truth about bands, your sort of unfiltered feelings about bands. Um, and so anyway, I, I go off to Edinburgh and I do my show and I came back and I'm fucking miserable, man. I had the worst. Edinburgh 2013 was a horrible time. They moved my venue twice. I ended up doing it in this like fucking cupboard, this back alleyway in the middle of nowhere. Like, um, fell out with my girlfriend at the time quite badly. He was also meant to be producing the show. We split up as soon as um, as soon as I came back, and uh, I was just a bit like. And then yeah, and I came back, and they were like, "Oh, we're canning the Metal Hammer podcast now," and I was like, "You have to be fucking kidding me! Why?" And it was a thing that was very popular, so we were told that something new was going to take its place. So it's never on the cards to just keep that going and just transition because the rest of who was the company at the time future future the rest of the sort of whatever you want to call them outlets you know obviously you had prog classic rock blues were that were they there then or was yeah, yeah they were prog, all there classic rock, blues, they just segued across rock. under the new banner of team rock but remain the same was there never a conversation to just keep that podcast alive and just transition that across with the rest of the the titles no because it seemed like such a crazy thing to just disregard this inbuilt audience that you know is there and they're engaged it was really weird and i didn't and and we were told that you know it was the typical thing that we got told at team rock a lot which is people won't sit and listen to two people talking or three people talking for an hour they just won't but podcasts weren't the thing that they are now either no no that's true i mean there was podcasts around but in 2013, podcasting was by no means the no. the monster it's become today. Yeah. Uh, and the rock press in particular have always been the last <laughs> yeah. to keep up to date with progressions in current media trends. Always. Yeah, always. And, uh, you know, still continues to yeah. stay. Yeah, yeah completely. I mean, um, podcasts are still shunned in quote unquote our world. Mm. Um, and it's crazy to me because, you know, you look at the figures that a podcast does compared to say a magazine. Yeah. And in some cases they're bigger and you're like, yeah, but they will. And they're an engaged audience. And they're well. an engaged audience because if you do sit there for an hour or more, you know, your episodes sometimes run over two, yeah. don't they? I think mine, my longest is probably 90 minutes or so. If I get any longer than that, I split them in two. But if, mm. you, if you're going to have someone who sits there, like you are now, hopefully, listening to two people or three sometimes just chat 
then you have to want to be there, don't you? Yeah. You're not just channel surfing. And you know that that person is going to hear the things that you say. Like, you're going to get exposed. Whatever being taught, you're going to get exposed to the thing that they're saying. They get to, you know, you can't... If someone buys Metal Hammer, I can't go into their house to every person who buys it and, and open up. And Did go, you read all the words? Go, Make sure you read my interview with the. I've got a thing with Marilyn Manson and Courtney Love at the moment. This one, you need to read that. Go there first. You need to do that. So you know you don't. You don't. As much as I'm proud of that stuff, like sometimes I go. Well, I wonder how many people like read it. You, you have no way of knowing, really. Do you know what I mean? You have no way of knowing. Um, but yeah, it got binned off for essentially we were told that we were going to have a kind of YouTube TV show instead, um, which was going to be like a 15 minute weekly roundup snippet with me, Amit and Merlin, who were doing the podcast at the time. And uh, we had a couple of meetings about it and then it just, you know, nothing happened. And it was kind of good that nothing happened at that point, because like I say, I was moving out of my ex-girlfriend's house and I was deciding that I didn't want to do stand up anymore. And I was just not really in a very uh, good stable place. place yeah, yeah. I was not in a place where I think I could have committed enough time to actually have done something like that. So it was probably a bit of a blessing in disguise. I mean, I think I would have continued to carry on doing the podcast if the podcast had carried on, but the idea of doing something new, I think it would have been a struggle for me to have done that because I was suddenly finding that, you know, I needed to find new ways to make money i needed to find a new place to live i needed to you know get my head straight and all this kind of stuff so it wasn't <clears throat> probably was yeah it well everything kind of happens for a reason as they say yeah and so you move out of the place you're living with your girlfriend is that where you got the old flat that you used to be in in greenwich no mate that was in fulham fulham yeah so we lived uh illegally subletting in fulham classic uh right opposite Stamford bridge chelsea's ground right bad times and what did you go and do in terms of work so basically the job you're doing now is that when you started that yeah i did yeah right right so um i got a mate who i who's getting married one of the things i did i don't know if i've even talked about this ever is i I started up a company that was going to be because i'd written stand-up bits and stuff um was to try and help people write a best man speech dude why don't you do that now um, I don't really have time to do it now, no? and I don't, and I don't have the inclination. Either. No, no, that could be a good little money maker. Yeah, though. That could, it could be. Uh, I mean, that's everyone's worst nightmare, isn't it? If you're like a shy person, the idea of doing a speech mm. is like their <laughs> worst nightmare come to life. Yeah. Well, I might nick that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Have it, mate. Have it. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a website set up somewhere for it and everything. You just put your picture Hate on till it twenty twenty. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, but. Um, I basically I met up with this dude that I knew. It wasn't like a really, really good mate of mine, but it was someone that I knew a little bit and he was getting married and he was like, um, can you help me with my speech, my sort of my groom speech? And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. And he was like, I'll buy you Nando's and we'll hang out. And we, I went down and we started talking. And I was telling him about everything. And he was like, he's got his own company. He's like, dude, you should come and work for us. And they work. I'm not going to go too deep into what they do, but basically it's within the music industry, but a very different side of the music industry from like rock and metal um and it's you know journalistic as well so it's like in print as well so um but it's a very very different uh part of what i am known for i guess um but so i did a couple i started doing a couple of days with him i was doing as much as i could for hammer i was moved all my stuff back to my mum's i was staying on my mate in my mate's house and then i got an email from moose at team rock who was a station controller going Alex Miles is away next week on holiday he wants you to cover him on the Metal Hammer magazine show which is this you know new I guess kind of the replacement for the Metal Hammer podcast 
but on Team Rock Radio. So I went down and with there, music, with music, yeah, like a full Being blown the key difference, yeah, full blown radio show. And I was like, oh yeah, man, awesome, like more money, another kind of revenue stream. I thought this is something which I'll probably will be okay at. I didn't really know, but I did know that I could put together a killer kind of playlist of of metal and um and do theme shows i think the first week i did a 90s show and i did a kind of extreme surprise music. surprise yeah, surprise, <laughs> surprise and uh i did a, didn't did see do that a hardcore show and a 90s show on the first week that i was on it so yeah you know <laughs> no not a lot has changed no surprises there at all but um yeah but moose kind of spoke to me afterwards and was like that's pretty good do you want to you know cover him again when he's off and i said yeah and so i did and then he went we should get you doing covering afternoons or breakfast or drive or you know whenever the other guys in the station went i was like i'd love to do that so i over a kind of four or five month period i began to appear more and more on a station and it got to the point where i was pretty much on it every week every other week like at least a day two days a couple of days maybe the weekend and um moose one day was like do you want to do the breakfast show full time and i was like of course like fuck yeah you know this is probably february early march 2014 it had only been a year since i'd had my first piece printed in metal hammer magazine and now i've got a full-time job i'm writing for this magazine and i'm going to be doing it and it, it happened so quickly everything happened so quickly that I don't think I had a chance to really consider what was going on in a lot of ways. Like I, I wasn't from the music industry. I hadn't built my way up. I hadn't really earned my, you know, I'd been doing a podcast for a few years and I assumed when I got on this radio station that much like the podcast, there would be a cool group of open-minded, passionate music fans who liked all different varieties of rock music and metal and hardcore and punk and you know, indie and whatever, I thought all those people would be there listening and they'd be interested to hear me go, hey guys, I've got a smorgasbord of vast depth and knowledge of this entire world. Let's get it all out. But, um... Assumption is the mother of all <laughs> That's not what happened. That is not what happened at There's all. There's a couple of things, though. The first thing, which, not to make it about me, but just to fill in the, yeah, the sure, other side sure. of the story, is that I'd come out of hospital around about mid-March. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically the minute you'd been offered the job. Yeah. And I had been in hospital for three months, and I'd been out of the music industry for nine months. And this accident that I went through and the whole process of recovery gave me the inspiration and the the spark that I needed to kind of get back in the game. And so I was like, right, I'm going to get down to London. That's where I need to be. Yeah. So I came down and I had an interview for uh, a f- assistant feature editor role, I think, at Classic Rock. And then a meeting, just to, like an informal, casual chat with Team Rock Radio and with Moose. And Moose was like, oh, we're going to have a new breakfast show host, Stephen Hill. And... Through the process of everything that I'd been through after Koran closed and how much that broke my heart and just missing being on the radio again, I was like, yeah, fuck it. Why not? Like, in in many ways for me, without any disrespect to you, it was like it was a bit of a step back in my career because I'd been hosting this oh, big mate, evening show on Kerrang. <laughs> you're like a fucking award-nominated DJ and they're going, oh, he's the guy who's going to sit in the corner and critique what you do. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, that uh, when so I basically had to sit on the information that I was going to be a presenter for a couple of months mm-hmm. and still continue to cover and try and get myself I guess like try and find and build some sort of rapport with the audience which I had was already kind of niggling them very very early on and I already had an idea in my head about how I wanted to come across and I had a couple of months to kind of appear now and again and to sort of try and hone that and to try and make them get used to me a little bit and then I'm told that this guy who I knew you know we'd met a couple of times but you're coming down and that you're going to be the person who's going to shape it and stuff and I was a bit like I'm not sure and that's probably the first time where I went this feels like a weird kind of role reversal i felt like i could serve you music and be a good kind of sidekick to what you were doing if you were the main host but quite why you're sitting in the corner with all your radio experience and i'm kind of front and center it felt like uh when i thought about it like that i did get an odd feeling about you know i'm a you know in in the radio world i'm a complete rookie complete rookie um so you must have, you must have, I, and I, I'm not offended by it at all. You must have felt that. Well, for me, <clears throat> it was just a great opportunity to get back in the industry. And I'd been so humbled by the way Kerrang went down and by the accident that I'd had and, you know, almost dying. That'll change a man. Yeah. And so I was just stoked to be in London and, and back in the music industry and the radio industry particularly, because that's where my heart has always really belonged is in broadcasting. And I was just stoked, but... um it was interesting over the year that we did that show together, if we ever did try and like get me on the show with you and those shows for me, I can say that I think objectively were always the better shows and it was nothing really to do with me as much as just the way we bounced off each other. Yeah. Um, But there was always this resilience, wasn't there Mm. within the team there? I'm not sure where that came from, No. but there was, there was this very like anti Matt sentiment pervading the air and whether that's just because i came into cocksure or whether there was an element of uncertainty and insecurity on their part because i was coming from kerrang a bit of the two Mm. you know i didn't make any bones about the fact that i had a certain standard and i don't think you know i sort of bit my tongue at times when i should have done sometimes when the standard to me wasn't up to scratch yeah um but it was always weird that i just felt like we should be developing the show together and you know the stuff that we did do on air together i loved and look back mm. at you know that year was a weird year it was a weird because year. the station was underground which in and of itself just creates a weird i mean the show that i did which led on to this podcast really soundtrack apocalypse you know the premise for that was the world's going to end you come down into the team rock bunker and you basically talk about your life and you pick five songs that are going to soundtrack the end of the world Mm. and some days down in that studio it felt like the end of the fucking world no sunlight like a very weird skeleton crew and people would kind of just come and go and and you know i'd be in there from when we did the breakfast show but then i pretty much stay in there and do like a nine to five job there yeah i I was was doing the the punk yeah you would just go on and and why not i I, you know i'd have done the same if i wasn't doing the punk show as well and soundtrack and and basically you know i'm a workaholic so i'd just be like right i'm here let's just get loads of stuff done and it was just a very weird atmosphere weird team weird mix of people and a weird year in both our lives, I think. Definitely. And like, when you start yeah. the day, do it. Because a breakfast show is a weird gig anyway. I've mm. read Phil Jupiter's book and spoke to breakfast show hosts. And if you're a full-time breakfast host, it's a weird way to live your life. Yeah. Because you're up and done for the day 
by the time a lot of the world is just getting started. Yeah. And that in and of itself is a weird space to inhabit psychologically, isn't it? Took it took a long time to get used to that for me, like a really, really long time. And particularly what was what was weird about it is that I would be doing this show which we were kind of prodded and pulled, I think, in various different directions. And I'd feel like, you know, art, like when I talk about, uh, like when I talk about listening to Six Music or whatever, when I, if I do talk about that later, um, you know, I, I look at that and I go, well, that's the sort of thing, you know, I want to be thought of as, um, or I would, you know, my, my goal would be to be thought of as somebody like, you know, I used to listen to John Peel when I was a kid. With and, a wide, wide, wide taste. Yeah, in with music. a wide taste and knowledge. And I want people, I want people listening who want that. And I guess that's not really what a breakfast show is there for. I understand. Well, that, that. was the thing is we weren't given any guidance, were we? In, in any way, shape or form of what to do with the show in terms of the, the tone and the quote unquote content. I have to say quote unquote because you know I hate the word. We weren't giving any direction in terms of what to do and say. And the music was, you know, I think the the whole idea of that station and the reason it was a very unique proposition to begin with was there's no adverts. Mm. So there's no pressure from sponsorship and there's no kind of like toe the party line that Kerrang had to do yeah. to exist. You know, Kerrang had to play Oasis and very non-Kerrang bands to exist and to survive team rock didn't have that pressure so they're like here's this musical freedom you can now play whatever you want and it's like well why are we only playing the wild hearts and saxon then there was one day where we looked at it and there was 50 minutes between um no disrespect to either of those bands <laughs> yeah yeah well yeah and no disrespect to, to one of those hearts. bands yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and um there's one day we looked and it was like it was about an hour and 10 minutes and you were like there's not anything that's going on. I remember saying to you, like, Matt, look, from there to there, that's an hour and 10 minutes, and there's nothing which has been made after 1983. 83, yeah. 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 And it was, in, like, that to me was insane. And I was going out, and obviously, people were still emailing me for Metal Hammer and from how they used to for the Metal Hammer podcast and going, oh, dude, do you think you can get, like, Racket Cannon on the, on the, on the yeah, Team bit, Rock show? A bit of Belgian like, hardcore. Yeah, and it's like, I don't know if I can. But I wanted to listen to that stuff. You know, that's what I like. And I would go to Hammer and go, you know, it would be, like, reviewing the Trash Talk album and then going to, like, mm-hmm. Team Rock in the morning and playing really, really bland music. And I felt like two people and I felt like I didn't really know which one of these two people I was meant to be because when I was on air you I wasn't meant to be this kind of uber geeky kind of almost snob like um you know radio sort of music fucking nerd whereas I'd go out and I'd be like I want to hear more music I want more 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 I'd want to hear all that music and and in the end it just became a mush and I felt like I didn't really listen to anything that year at all and I didn't really know I was trying to get away from being a comedian but yeah I felt like I was still being a comedian on the radio and I was just deliberately needling the audience who were driving me fucking mad well it was a tricky station as well because well and a tricky time for radio because yeah it was a breakfast show but it wasn't a traditional station there wasn't a clear distinct drive time afternoons yeah. do you know what I mean because it wasn't on FM and I wonder how much now, like if people listen to say Six Music or XFM or these, you know, big stations, they're probably still in the old school habitual day-to-day patterns that radio listeners are in. You know, they're in the car on their way to work or they're listening to it in the office in the daytime. But mm. with Team Rocket, it didn't feel like there was ever really like an, 
a, a landscape to the day, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. just this weird online experiment. Yeah. That's kind of what it felt like. Yeah, and do you know what? Like, I, I can't really... I shouldn't have been given a breakfast show, that's for sure. <laughs> like, I shouldn't have been. Um, and I would have loved to have done the Metal Hammer show. Um, but ultimately, you know, I can't be... I can't be too angry at Moose for giving me that show and then kind of taking it away because I probably shouldn't have had it in the first place, really. Well, what's the old Dr. Zeus saying? Smile because it happened, don't cry because it's over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't, you know, like if I bump into Dewsbury uh, Festival, um, I got a text from Rachel last year who was on She's the show. She's a mum now, well. right? She's a mum now, yeah. Um, and I don't feel like, although, you know, I'm not uber clo- really, really close to those people, I don't feel like they are... I don't think they're bad people. I feel like it was something that I never knew. Well, they didn't know what the hell they were doing either, yeah, did I they? No really one really knew. Knew, no one knew. No one knew. going on. Yeah. And, and Moose pretended like he knew because he's the guy in charge. But no one knew in that building what was going on from one day to the next. And what I found very frustrating about it is when our contracts ended and we were told, like, you know, last in, first out kind of thing. Uh-huh. And uh, you're off to LA. Have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. the way I got it. I know, yeah. But, 20 uh, minutes before my flight <laughs> yeah and i uh i remember being told the next day i remember saying you know like if i remember kind of fessing up and going i shouldn't really have been doing this breakfast show really and i was told that now this is going to be about creating new things and you if you have something that you can create and if you have something you know a, a level of expertise in 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 an area then that's something that you'll be able to explore and that is, will be used to your advantage. And at that point, that's when I went, fucking great. Now I can do a hardcore show, an extreme metal show. Now I can do a kind of weird alternative show. Now I can do a kind of a year's show or whatever. Like now I can do things that, um, that with all due respect to the, the other presenters on there, they don't have the canvas of knowledge to be able, they, 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 they couldn't do that. Do you know what I mean? Like there's all those things that I just mentioned. I think even they would admit they wouldn't be capable of doing that. They don't have, they would need someone to program it for it. Whereas, you know, that would be something that I could definitely, definitely do. And, and host with integrity mm. and knowledge. And I kind of, I made three pilots for a hardcore show, for an alternative show and for an extreme metal show. And I actually put an extreme metal, a history of extreme metal out on the Metal Hammer radio show one day when I was covering. And I ended up covering for, for Team Rock for another probably eight months <laughs> you just refused to go didn't you <laughs> yeah I, but, mate because you know it was a big deal for me to kind well, of get it in. was and a paid gig paid gig, paid gig. And, you know i was obviously again at that point i was like well i need you know i need to make money i'm that must have been an even weirder time than our first year working on the station together yeah it must because the minute i was told you're out i was like cool in a bit like you know, I kind of left with a pretty bad taste in my mouth because of the way that certain people treated me for still, I don't really know what reason, but mm. you obviously stuck around, stick around. Yeah, I did. And, and I did the, I did. it felt like a never ending year. Cause I'd speak to you almost every day. And that's mm. the other weird thing, isn't it? Was when you do like a breakfast show with someone, it's such a unique friendship that forms because yeah. you start every day with that person. And so we'd still speak pretty much every day for like the year, two years that followed. Yeah. And I think well, when it came to, there was one, I remember thinking, because you've just been told the whole time, right, that the station is yeah, still like, going to exist in this new yeah, way. we're going to exist in this new way. We're looking at it. We may be thinking about, I've put it to people. It's not up to me. You know, this kind of thing. It felt like I'd, whoever I'd speak to, I'd speak to Alex. Um, I'd speak to Scott Rowley, who was kind of in, in the top of the tree. I'd speak to Moose. And it was always like somebody somewhere, somewhere else doesn't think that you can do it, but I think you can. And I was always been told, you're very important to this 
company team rock metal hammer classic rock like who or i was doing stuff for all of them at the time the website you know the team rock website I was writing for that as well and yeah i carried on writing you carried i completely writing, forgot yeah. i did still work for them but just i sacked off the radio team and was like i'm i'm over you guys mm. and simon young just basically worked for him every day for almost two years shout yeah. out simon he's great he's simon um but i there was one i think it was christmas so my memory of it so so the actual the station ended before the webs before the company ended didn't it yeah yeah but i was gone by then because you were gone by basically then. at christmas i um they asked me to cover the week after christmas on on uh, like two weeks up until from i think the week before christmas up until just after new year so this is 2015 going to 2016 and um i remember getting up on new year's day having gone to bed at about quarter past 11 on new year's eve on my own party boy yeah and people were coming out of new year's eve parties to go home and i was going to work to go and sit in that bunker in that well what was then the kind of oh they'd moved it to the pentonville road place yeah by angel kind of even more frightening this yeah yeah yeah. and i went there a couple of times to do like online interviews and it just felt like this kind of heart yeah as you say like a half lived in post-apocalyptic hut yeah didn't it yeah and you i was there really early like half six in the morning and you thought what the fuck am i doing in my life like, what the fuck's going on and one day was you know i think it was the day after so yeah it would have been the day after um new year's i think we heard about lemmy dying yeah 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 and i did the whole show i made a point of i think that was the last i think that was the last show i ever did on team rock i think i might have covered one or two days more but in terms of doing a full week the last show i did was the daily that lemmy the morning that lemmy we found out lemmy died and i curated a whole i was like tweet me your favorite motorhead songs i played loads of bands covering motorhead played loads of bands who were inspired by motorhead i made a whole like motorhead show and I was really happy with it. And I remember Scott Rowley actually emailed me and was like, I could have listened to that all day. And I was, you know, they didn't really like me, the audience at Team Rock, and that's fine. Um, I didn't really like them. But that that day, I got so many messages from people going, that was a really good show. Because um, you stopped playing the, yeah, the fool and you went, you know what, I'll just show them that I can fucking deliver exactly what they want. Yeah. And then I'll leave. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And by this point, obviously, I was doing something else as well as the radio. And I think... <laughs> You're being very elusive with this other job. Is there any reason why? I'm going to pick you up on it. Um, Is it just because you feel it's not relevant to this chat? Oh, no, no, no. I was... I, I'm, <laughs> it, I think it is relevant to this chat. And right. like, so, obviously, I was doing another podcast as well. Oh, you're talking about that other job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The most clumsy segue of all time then. Yeah. Sorry, Stephen. No, that's right. So, I was doing something else and obviously, <laughs> you know, there was... Um, At the time? Yeah. And there was obviously a bit of... Uh, Should we talk about the, the seed and the inception of this project then? And Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So... Um, Bees is the the man that you used to host a podcast with. Mm -hmm. uh, you two launched That's Not Metal together in, would it have been the summer of 2014? 15. 15. And it was around, was it around download time? No, it was after, it was just after the summer. And um, uh, I had been kind of just hanging around Team Rock like a bad smell, basically. And I was getting pretty frustrated with it and i'd see terry um out and about and and he was obviously in the same boat he was the because same he was boat. one of the presenters on yeah. team rock as well and, and at like midnight two in the morning or something as well i don't think he was very happy about it and it was a weird was he still on the station at this point yeah and was he still on scuds at this point or no uh no i don't think so no. um was that me was that it? was you yeah yeah <laughs> ruined it didn't he and um <laughs> and uh uh yeah um and so we would sort of you bonded i think that what, from what i saw because i went to audition for or as did you in fact went to audition for for terry's role at scuzz because yep. he'd been let go mm -hmm. uh, and that vacancy was there and yep. someone was going to fill it and a bunch of people went and auditioned mm -hmm. and i got it and i was stoked i remember i was uh in santorini at a wedding and i got the call from alex heron um, I want to shout out to him as well for, for giving me that gig and for uh, being a great boss at Scuzz for a couple of years. And obviously because, you know, Bees was very passionate about that gig and about that channel, wasn't he? You know, that yeah. was like his baby. And we weren't exactly on the best of terms at that point anyway. I think he'd been fairly flippant towards me when I was let go from Team Rock, which I felt was unfair um, because there was no animosity between us at that point as far as I was concerned. And so when he behaved in the way that he did to me after I was let go from Team Rock and, you know, not knowing he was soon to be let go as well, I was a bit like, you know what, I'm going to go and audition for your job then and I'm going to have no problem if I get it. I'm not going to feel guilty. After I got it, I could just feel the hatred, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, and I understand that. I do understand that because that was his baby and he's probably thinking, who the fuck's this guy in a sailor hat? Mm. nicking my job but the job was there and you know i went for it and i got it and I, I remember seeing the two of you at download that year when i was doing the coverage for scuzz together and i could just sort of sense that you were bonding over a mutual disillusionment with the industry right you were both in yeah. a similar sort of a place where you both had a wealth of musical knowledge you were both extremely passionate about rock punk metal and alternative music and you both, I think, felt, as I'd felt 
after Kerrang. Team Rock didn't bother me because I'd already been through it with Kerrang and that broke my heart in ways that, you know, Team Rock never could. So I sort of just knew you pick up your fucking boots, pull them up and, and, and walk on. Okay. Whereas I think for you, obviously, you know, from, as you say, not in the industry at all to within a year, completely immersed in it, you've been given your dream job, all this stuff. And then to have it taken away, that's a fucking... It's a bitter pill to swallow. It's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, it was And hard. I think you both, would you say, bonded over that similar disenfranchisement at that exact same time yeah. with, with the industry? Yeah, probably. It was a weird time. Like from, I, I you know, I think I learned pretty quickly about um, what's what was up with the industry at that time. And when I look back on it, it was a very, a very odd time. I'd say 2015 was a bit of a weird time for rock music and for rock music media mm-hmm. as well. I think yeah. if you look at um, the kind of the end of Alex's tenureship as the editor of Metal Hammer magazine, he's a smart man. He knows a sinking ship when he sees uh, one. Doesn't he? Well, he, you know, there was like very much that it, it started to get to the point in hammer where I was doing features. Like when I look at the, the last few features that I've done for hammer that I'm immensely proud of, you know, I've done features on like the Boston hardcore scene. I've done like a 10 year retrospective on Jane Doe by converge. I've done recently the Marilyn Manson and Courtney love tour fallout. I've done a kind of piece about the prodigy. I've done stuff with black peaks and like bands and, and heck and bands. That I really, the really love and Defto, yeah. yeah. 10 years, 20 years of around the fur. And it's all stuff that I really, really love. Um, there was a little period where I was doing stuff like we came as Romans I, I in this moment, yeah, bands I, like that. In yeah. this moment, yeah, yeah, I did do that. Um, asking Alexandria, and you know, I'm happy to talk to those bands, and I'm happy to. I did New Year. I did the first feature on New Year's Day, and it just started to feel like you're Hammer, clocking in and out. Your passion and, then becomes like a job, doesn't it? Like yeah, anything else. And, and the Hammer was sort of. I felt like they were looking around, like going, "Well, we like a monomath, but there's this and and." Kerrang was the same, you know. Kerrang had been covering Five Seconds of Summer, yeah, and yeah, yeah. then you saw the kind of permanently Twenty One Pilots on the front cover, and it was a lot of stuff that I think people such as myself wouldn't, wouldn't could not get behind, could not get passionate about. Rock sound drifted kind of further and further into the Panic at the Disco esque world. Um, team Rock seemed to have no real direction, and. And festivals as well probably were panicking because yeah. I think that's when the conversation of who's going to headline tomorrow's festivals, that's when that dialogue really started to ignite, didn't it, as well? Mm. And it was basically like a, a nationwide panic, mm. wasn't it? Yeah. All the industry all of a sudden were like, oh, shit, like yeah. nothing's, nothing's well, certain anymore. Yeah, and Kerrang! went off DAB for a bit. And, yeah. and, and it was, it was, I think everyone's sort of looking around like, like, is this it? Is this kind of the end? And so... I started talking to Terry and we were both like, man, this is fucking pretty shit. And I would listen to him and I, you know, I, I, there's stuff of his on YouTube from when he was on Scuzz that I think is absolutely brilliant. His interview with Jason Newstead, he did a, he did one with AFI, which is incredible. And I always really loved like those specials that he did with bands on Scuzz. I didn't really listen to his show much because it was on at fucking midnight or two in the morning. And that was like two hours before I had to get up or whatever. Um, but and I liked his writing in Hammer as well. You know, he, was a, he wrote the first feature on Let Live, who a band I really love. And uh, he had um, sort of slowly but surely we started to get on. And, and I knew he kind of said to me that he was going to be doing this YouTube channel. And that was what he was planning on doing. So he basically quit Team Rock. So I don't want to do this anymore. Was going to do this kind of YouTube Because assumedly channel. they were probably telling him the same thing they were telling you. You're an invaluable asset to this company. Mm. Hmm. whilst not actually offering him anything yeah i think that was the thing it's the same thing with both of you wasn't it it's yeah. like here's the carrot but you don't get to eat it yeah and so he spoke to me and he was like well basically 
I'm going to start doing a podcast. Um, but my main thing is going to be this YouTube channel. And we, he was like, I'm going to call it That's Not Metal. It'll be me and you. We'll just do reviews of bands and stuff. And it, it felt like kind of immediately people were suddenly very, very heavily invested in it. I remember seeing and feeling really and, and really kind of being blown away by the instant, as you say, fervor that yeah. just lit up around that project because this the scene whatever you want to call it the industry had been lacking for so long mm. for this thing that just delved into music in such a way and part of it is to do with the the time you have when you're on a radio station or the word count that you have to work with when you're writing for a magazine there are certain restrictions that are in place but and that's the great thing about podcasting is it does free you up yeah, completely. completely. But also they, they just hadn't really been like a platform and the guys who had the voice but were allowed that platform to really just go in and show off their knowledge mm. and talk about bands that weren't necessarily being talked about in the, the mainstream rock press at that time. Yeah, and it went in... Um, they were aching for it, weren't they? Crying out for it. Yeah, it, it became like... I was pretty stunned at how popular it was so like quickly. instantly as well yeah yeah very very quickly and it felt like it built for quite a long time as well and people i remember going to see bring me the horizon played um the launch of when that's the day that's the spirit came out um and this the two kids came up to me and they didn't know that i'd be on team rock they didn't know that i wrote for metal hammer they didn't know anything about the metal hammer podcast and they came up to me and were like oh my god you're the guy from the that's not metal and it had only been going three weeks and they were like really excited in a way that I had not experienced before. I know because this is, I guess, more Terry's audience, right? To I begin so, with, yeah. Yeah, which yeah. is that kind of younger audience, more excitable. Yeah, but it, I mean, it wasn't even that there was a younger audience that was more excitable. It just felt they were more excited about it for the first time in a long time by the rock media. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and that was, you know, um, you know, it was good. It was good that they felt like that. I mean, I. I I never really wanted to to weaponize that. Do you know what I mean? I never really felt like that was something that would should be taken and turned into um that you shouldn't exploit that. I didn't think. I always felt slightly uncomfortable with the idea that, you know, these slogans started coming up in the show where it would be talking about, you know, the smartest audience in rock, which I thought was a really trite sort of patronizing thing to say to people um but people liked it do you know what i mean well again with rock i think people love this idea that there's you know a sense of belonging and that well that was team rock's whole thing wasn't it team yeah. rock belong mm. and no one really felt like they belong there apart from say the guys that had followed Jewsbury down from manchester and there's that contingency mm. but the audience at large did not feel like there was anything to belong to Mm. whereas that's not metal really did have that kind of a this is a community and it was as yeah, i guess was, you're alluding to it pumped everyone up to begin with it was like this is war mm -hmm. we need to go against kerrang it, yeah. it was it, you're you're deliberately positioning yourself against everyone else which is weird well that's a tough position to inhabit well, yeah, when you I've, work it, in this industry yeah, as well it's really. all well and good kind of going fuck everyone else their shit we're the best but the minute you start doing that, you've got to see these people at all the events that you go to, mm. and they're going to be like, so you think that you're better than us, huh? 
Yeah, and, and you it know, breeds resentment all around you, and that's not a fucking healthy space to live in. And I, you know, I did it as well. Like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, I was just sort of sat there and tied. I didn't at yeah, all. Yeah. Like, you know, I would slag bands off, and oh, I'd occasionally really that doesn't sound anything like you. <laughs> yeah. And I'd occasionally have a dig at like Kerrang or Rock Sound or whatever. And then, you know, I still do. But the, I think you know, I always meant it in a very, very kind of jovial way. I think you should be able to laugh at yourself a lot. Do you know what I mean? I always felt like I could laugh at myself. Um, and you know there are there were some things that were happening in Kerrang that were kind of ridiculous at the time, and I think that you know when it when they came up, uh, it was kind of all right to make fun of them. But when it you're becomes, talking about, say, give me one example, like something like Five Seconds of Summer on the cover. Five Seconds of Summer. I mean, we I remember quite early on reviewing um, New Year's Day, who were the fucking not spooky core that's cold chamber but they're like kind of goth emo-y goth thing and i think we said it smells like it's like a sort of a bat's fart or something like that a cobwebs fart they sound like and they were like it's it's new grave it was the thing like Kerrang came up with a thing calling it new grave and it was one band and they were awful and we just sort of went oh yeah new grave like that's a thing isn't it yeah and new you've had new rave yeah now here's new grave and um but that's something that, you know, you, down the line you can go, surely even the people involved in that would be able to go, yeah, that probably was kind of a ridiculous thing to say. Yeah. But when you're in it, it's not nice to have people kind of take the piss out of it. And we did take the piss out of stuff a lot. But, you know. But that's, again, what the audience probably loved is yeah. this idea that you're you're straight talking. Wow, for the first time, honesty in the rock press. Mm. And, again, that's a big draw. That's, that's a huge appeal right there. Yeah. And you hold like quite a lot of power in your hands if yeah, you have you that freedom to say if you come here you know that whatever we say is going to be our heartfelt truthful opinions mm. we're not going to be giving this band an easy ride because they're also looked after by this other big band which yeah. is obviously a lot of what goes on in the rock press and i think people love that about that podcast yeah and i think it was a really you know it was a really good shot in the arm i think if you look how good kerrang is now i think metal hammer's much better now i think undoubtedly to give it its props you know and i'm you know i i take absolutely no credit for this whatsoever i'm not going to take any credit for its success because i'm not going to take any credit for its things that didn't work uh, I'm not going to take the blame for the stuff that didn't work. So I won't take any success for all the stuff that did work. That was, you know, the Well, can ambition. I say this from the outside looking in? It very much seemed to me to be Bees's project and you were his partner in crime, yep. his co-host. That's how I felt. But yeah. he very much seemed from the outside looking in at least to, to be the driver. Yeah, I always felt like a kind of employee, well, an unpaid intern. Uh, that's not true. I mean, you know, once we got a sponsor and stuff, like he was passionate, you know, he was like, I'm going to go and get a sponsor. Um, and it's weird because, you know, I don't really want to sit here and talk about money and blah, 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 because, it's, you know, you've got a Patreon page. I have, sponsors. and I could do some more, to be honest. So <laughs> yeah. I don't care, to be honest. I mean, for me, as long as you're not fucking begging, it's like, here's the reality. This is a free podcast. You get to enjoy it for free every week mm -hmm. if you like it and you believe in it and you'd like to see more go over to the patreon page and support it because yeah without support without money you can't make art bands can't exist without it design like you just need basically enough to live and then you can create around that yeah that freedom that your financial security allows you yeah so, so you do need to get paid very nice and you know the the system that initially that had come up with it, that sort of metal which again i thought was a really really clever thing to do was to go we can record two special podcasts and you can 
pay a monthly subscription and you'll get these two special podcasts and some of them were which again is pretty groundbreaking yeah like, it was really there, great there, there wasn't like now patreon is a thing right and it's a pretty widely used thing but then are we talking now 2016 no that's late 2015 late 2015 that wasn't common practice then no and once again it was you know a fairly fresh concept mm. Mm. and it was his here's concept. the basic yeah. show but then here's extra shit for a little bit of extra money yeah um and it was cool you know for a very very long time it was cool you know it was it was cool i think i mean i don't do it anymore obviously um and you kind of go a couple of years down the line how long did you co-host the show with bees for so it was uh late 2015 and i left in i think the last one i did was april last year april 2018 so two and a two, two and a half years two and a half just over two and a half how years. long into that two and a half year period was it a hundred percent enjoyable and incredible and amazing experience um quite a lot i would say probably about 85 percent of it wow okay i would say about so up until the end of, of 2017 yeah mate even past that i mean yeah. even going into yeah i mean well maybe maybe my maths is off a bit then maybe even more it's just that when it went bad it went when did it start to go bad in what ways how christmas 2017 going into 2018 is the catalyst of a (laughs) unbelievable turn of events um i think probably that that's got me to to where i am now wherein renfrey who i do my podcast with now came in and there was a whole team of people that came in was Bees at this point hanging up his hosting boots and saying, yeah. I'm done yeah. with hosting the show? Mm-hmm. And what was he going to do? Just run the business side? Yeah, I think so, yeah. How come he wanted to come off the air? I don't know. He never even explained a reason. <sighs> it was a, quite a long explanation. Right. I don't really remember. Okay. Um, and also what I should say at this point is I didn't want to leave my job, but I the audience were being told that I deserve to leave my job. Um, and I didn't even want to do that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I remember him saying to me, tell everyone how much rent you pay. And I was like, no way, no way. I'm going to tell people how much rent I pay on a fucking podcast about metal music. That's insane. So I didn't really want to do that. And the whole thing, I was just like, ah, I don't like asking. I don't, in general, I don't like asking people for money. Do you know what I mean? Even when we did a sort of, the Patreon links and stuff to write and was like, if you want to give something, that's cool, but don't worry if you can't. But there's a difference between asking and demanding, right? Mm. And, you know, and then he kind of, he kind of vanished and we didn't really know what we were meant to do, you know, and I definitely did the most when, when it was like, when he was off doing, you know, kind of. So when he left, break. you became the main anchor, and then Renfrey's your co-host. Yeah, that was the but dynamic. Renfrey right? really didn't like the idea of. of Did he get hate for replacing no. bees? No, not was... at all. I, I mean, again, that audience isn't really like that. I don't think they're not. They're not. A, they're not a sort of vindictive audience. I didn't. I didn't see anything that I considered from the people that listened to that podcast. I never saw anything kind of vindictive or shitty from those people that I considered overstepping a mark. Not to Renfrey, not to me, not to not to Terry. Like there were a lot of people going, "What the fuck?" Like I, this is a rip off, and you had to kind of go, 
okay, well, this maybe needs a rethink. And I tried to make a bunch of podcasts. And Are you then, still doing a weekly free podcast? Yeah, doing a weekly yeah, free yeah. podcast. I remember, like, mate, my, so my birthday, my birthday, I got up in the morning of my birthday, and my mum was meant to be coming to, to visit me in London. I had a day free, so I'd taken the day off work. I got up, I recorded two podcasts, and then I was running late, and my phone was going ping, ping, buzz, buzz, text, email, like oh happy birthday there's a fucking email about something and then Merlin at Metal Hammer emailed me and was like I really need that new band piece and I was like ah oh, fuck and I just threw my phone across the room and it shattered into out of a, rage just or, out of I can't fucking everything's buzzing yeah, and yeah. I've like you know I've got to meet my mum in 20 minutes I've got to write a fucking piece first just, I've got to get your to own phone. just and I didn't mean to sort of chuck it in rage I was just like oh my god I can't hear this thing pinging yeah, yeah, next yeah. to me I was just driving me mad and I went and met my mum and she was like you look like you're having a mental breakdown and I was like I feel like my hand was like sore and my heart was beating and I was like my eyes were red and stuff and she was like you look terrible and that was on my birthday which was my like relaxing day so yeah. Everyone was massively stressed out about this thing that was happening. And um, and where's Terry? I don't know. Just, I need some time away. Don't contact me. Um, from from where we go from here. Well, let's sidestep then down, down that road for so, a bit, if you don't mind. No, no. So, me and my wife, ex-wife, uh, had said at the start of that year that we were going to try and have kids. And we are going to try and get a house. So, obviously, this whole thing was how can we earn more money how can we try and get a mortgage like um and we would sort of been trying to have kids for a little bit we went and had tests done both of us and it came back that like you know around while all this was going on i was told that it would be very very difficult for me to be able to have kids and i didn't really know why and also they were like you've also got a lump on your, on your testicle as well so i was like oh fuck um and we had uh, IVF booked in. We were going to get some IVF treatment. And then they found out that she'd had a child from a previous marriage, um, from a previous relationship. And they were like, oh, actually, you can't have it now. So that got taken away. And it suddenly said, well, if you want IVF now, it's £6,000. I have £6,000. And she was upset. It made her little boy upset. It felt like it was his fault. She was, was upset that she didn't have this thing. I felt like um, it's like, you know, I've never really wanted kids, to be honest. But there's something that will fuck with a sense of masculinity that you didn't even know you had when someone tells you something like that. And I became very withdrawn. I became quite like quite angry. Um, I became quite hard. I, I was, I was quite hard work for a little bit. And and then, a, you know, a bunch of stuff happened with um, when I sort of, when Terry came back from That's Not Metal and Renfrey was like, I'm not interested, I want to do this. It tried to relaunch and a few things happened that made me realise that, um, you know, I was just sort of a sidekick to be discarded. Do you know what I mean? Well, I, don't I guess feel- you would have liked to have thought at least that by this point you were friends. Yeah, and I did think that. I did think that as well. I did. I definitely did think that. Although, you know, they've. I, I felt like the audience that they had were being exploited by the money, and the fact that I felt like that, I felt like he then th- saw that as a betrayal of our friendship. 
that I didn't just go, no, you're right. Whatever you say is right. I didn't believe it was. I, I couldn't believe that it was. So that then became a lot of things that I felt were kind of deliberately belittling of me. Some of them, if you are still on their Facebook page, if you want to go and scroll all the way back, I'm sure. Um, uh, but yeah, but I, in my head was like, I need, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it. And it was, you know, I knew I was going to be giving up a bit of money, but I thought I could make that money up in my job. I could make that money up in Metal Hammer. It wasn't a humongous, you know, tremendous amount of money. Um, so I felt like I could make that money up in other places. Um, also, he hadn't paid me for three months, so I, I kind of tried to hold on for as long as possible and make sure I was definitely making the right decision and see if I could get that money because I wanted to at least go out with what I was owed. Do you know what I mean? Um, and uh, we had a bunch of messages where I sort of said, look, this is what's going on and I don't want to do it. And I think this the straw that broke the camel's back for me was one of the weeks when I wasn't there, it was Mental Health Awareness Week. And I'd messaged him and I said, look, man, I've got a lot of stuff going on at work. It's been really stressful. I also have this that's playing on my mind. My wife's mum was ill as well at the time. I am very, very um, distracted from, you know, I didn't want to listen to the new albums that we're doing this week. I just, I need to go. I need a break. Yeah, I need a break for a little bit. I wasn't um, having a nervous breakdown. I just didn't want to do that and kind of navigate a a kind of crumbling relationship with somebody whilst also thinking about all these other things. I didn't want to do that. But he put a podcast out going, Steve's away this week. And also he just feels like he needs a rest. And also it's Mental Health Awareness Week. And the insinuation that I was having some sort of mental breakdown, I thought was very, I, I thought was a reprehensible thing to do to be honest I thought it was a morally reprehensible thing to do and I had people coming up to me at shows and the rare times I did get up to shows coming up to me and going you know mate if you need to talk to anyone about what's going on I can help you with you know just it's good to talk about it and I did I chewed a guy out once actually I went to a show and I was like there's nothing you can do to help me to help my physical ailments do you know what I mean there's nothing that you can do that is going to help me make my family life better um so i sent him a message and i think i sent him a very very respectful message saying thank you very much for letting me do this it's been really amazing it's been something which i never thought it would get to be as big as it's been but i don't i just don't want to do it anymore and i thought that was kind of the respectful thing to do because i didn't i could have gone you know what i really feel like you've sold me out i really feel like you've belittled me i really feel like you've made a point of you know i felt like you were going out of your way to undermine everything that I'd done on that show. But I didn't say any of that. And, you know, the second that I said that, it was like, all right, see you later then. Cool. And that was it. And that was done. And, you know, I never got a chance to kind of explain to people myself about why I wasn't doing that show anymore. That was explained for me. What did me he say on the air? Um, doesn't feel like he can do it the passion's not there which is true so when riot act came out people went oh i thought you didn't have the passion for music anymore so no i didn't have the passion for that podcast is what i didn't have the passion for and so you know that happened and i think that left quite a bit of taste in my mouth that that was going on um i had to have a operation 
below. I was having a lot of scans and stuff. Luckily, like touch wood, the lump is kind of benign, nothing. But they found that there was a sort of there were problems with the veins going into the blockage between my bits. That doesn't sound very scientific, <laughs> scientific, but that's what it was. And so, um, the day that Riot Act launched, I had um, I was in a hospital bed, and they put wires down from my neck all the way down into my abdomen to have veins, like it's called a testicular embolization, and it increases your chance of um, you know, sort of ups your fertility by forty percent. And you're doing all of this because you and Emma want to have a kid. Mm-hmm. Well, she wants to. I'm not sure that I ever did, actually. But then, so that happens. It's pretty painful. We'll talk about the kind of how right act started in a minute, but just to kind of close up like this bit, about a month after that, she was like, it's not really working for me anymore, this relationship. And I was like, after fucking everything that's happened to me, man, when you you expect someone to be able to go... I understand why you're angry and why you're withdrawn and why you don't really, you're not really yourself. She just went, nah, that's, that's it. Um, and we were sort of sleeping apart for a bit. I was sleeping downstairs on the sofa at my mate's house. And we'd had a, a few days where we said we were going to sort of have a week to try and fix it. And the first night that that, of, of that week, um, I found out that my best mate who was the best man at my wedding committed suicide and that is the fucked up thing about this whole this whole year that has been the hardest thing and that's why like when people talk about you know mental health and when there's a thing that like, people will come out and go I've been going through mental health problems and it's terrible. I never in a million years, Lee had like two young kids and he was like, he looked on the surface to have everything and it felt like his life was great and he was happy and I never ever saw him not being happy. And it was just so sudden and it was like, I'd gone from having this really popular thing and this job that I loved and this family unit and this idea that we were going to create something. And, and also the idea that this medium, this kind of media medium that I had was going to build up in something else. And literally within nine months, it was gone and, and some It's brutal, like really, really brutal. And, uh, you know, and what, what it does is it, <clears throat> it just puts everything else into perspective. I think like it's the, it's made me go. I don't care about fucking having to earn X amount of money on, you know, a a podcast. I don't care about, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how quickly people become irrelevant to your life. I know we spend a lot of time talking about that's not metal, but it's become so irrelevant to my life because of what happened with Lee. Well, I think the only reason we wanted to get into it is so people know from your side what happened. But also, you are completely right. Like, when you go through something that, you know, irrevocably changes you forever, and it's a horrible, heartbreaking experience, but ultimately, you know, if you get through it, 
then you know that there's better days ahead and you look back on those days when you felt shitty about something so trivial by comparison yeah like a fallout with a fucking co-host of a podcast yeah do you know what i mean it, it puts things in perspective when you feel true fucking heartache and pain like that and i think you know like i before i kept sh- my, i was like i'm gonna sh- i'm not gonna say anything i'm gonna shut up about it people will kind of never really know how i feel about it but i still occasionally will get tweets from people snide out you have like some guy called me a thief when i started riot act as if you know that's not metal's the first ever podcast and then no one's ever invented a podcast before calling me a thief like what have i what, what did i what did i steal exactly the concept of speaking about music into a microphone that's fucking ridiculous me and renfrey started our podcast and we have occasionally had a couple of like i think pretty like silly digs occasionally there's one renfrey probably went a little bit too far once but really most of the time they're kind of they're kind of it's, glib- it's reserved and restrained well all it's things kind considered. of nudge nudge wink wink yeah. little whatever um and i i never but you know not the kind of spite that was reserved yeah. for kerrang and stuff i don't know that we've ever done that and i don't really want to do that and i think you know for me it it's put to bed as a sort of a rivalry or as a, a whatever. Like I don't, you know, I'll, I'll, like I said before, with, with sort of Moose and Jews being people like that from Team Rock, I don't think they're bad people. I just thought they were a bit of net. They're a bit out of their depth. They were kind of running around, not really know what they're doing. Um, I have nothing against the concept of That's Not Metal or the people who run that's not all the other two guys who are now in that show I have no all the people that listen to it I have no problem with those people whatsoever but I you know I wouldn't ever I wouldn't ever ever try or want or be willing to reconcile any type of relationship with Terry ever I don't think that's possible in the same way as I wouldn't ever you know three days after my best friend killed himself I had gone back to my mum to see her and you know see my mates from school and stuff and when I came back my wife (laughs) I'd said like I want to come back and spend some time with you and see if we can sort this out her bag her bags were packed and she was like that's it it didn't work this week didn't work like it didn't fucking work are you kidding me like and and that again to me that is like okay well we can't ever that is such a fucking betrayal of of me I, I think that you know um, that I can't ever, I can't ever forgive someone for doing that. I just, I don't think I'll ever be able to forgive them for doing it. I might be able to, I'll probably be able to live with it. And I'll probably be able to be go like, okay, well, I'm fine. I feel fine. And I did, and the reason I, I, like, I talk about, I can talk about it now again is like, while it was happening, I doubt anyone knew it was happening. I told my friends and stuff, but there were no tweets or Instagram posts or Facebook status there's no social media thing it never got mentioned on the podcast like Renfrew was saying to me like can you get divorced every week because we're doing really good shows at the moment well because you were just in the pocket of the work as a distraction from yeah I think so yeah and all the I, shit you I were dealing with about it. and now you know like um can you get divorced every week proper good friend that <laughs> <laughs> suffer for your art mm. are you feeling better in yourself now because I mean I've said to you privately and I hope you don't mind me saying it on this like the way you've dealt with what you've been through to me has been nothing short of inspirational thanks man like 
I think it's at our lowest moments that we show our true colors. And I feel like you really, you're older than me, so it's weird me saying it, but I feel like you've really matured and evolved into this empathetic, like sweet character as a result of this horrible shit yeah. that you've been through. And you, I, I feel like you've come out of it a, a much bigger and stronger and better person. That's very nice of you to say, mate. I appreciate that. And, you know, there's been, um, uh, you know, there's been times where I've been pretty fucking miserable and pretty horrible. But like I say, I don't think I'd talk about it now if I didn't feel like I could talk about it. Um, what we should say in all, in all this is kind of in the middle of all that, me and Renfrey did, Renfrey went, do you want to do a podcast? And I thought, fuck it, yeah, why not? And that's how Right Act started. And and to be honest... Born you know, in the fire, right? Yeah. Um, and... Again, like... And just out of a purity, I think. Uh, like, there's obviously the incentive, as there is with anything like this, for some sort of financial gain, hopefully. And let's be honest mm -hmm. about that. That's always there. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I think the purity of what you guys are doing is just, you know, it's about the music first and foremost. Yeah. As That's Not Metal started out as. And, we and would, what it should always be for I you, think, right? Yeah. We would obviously like to earn money from it. We do. We've got a Patreon page as well and stuff. But I don't think we'll ever get... You know, we'd like to get a sponsor as well, I'm sure. But, you know, I think people have got to ask themselves, like, why would I, I don't know why, why would you leave something which is much bigger than what you were doing before to do something that half the people are going to listen to and you're not going to get paid any money for? Like, you probably, you probably wouldn't do that unless you know, the circumstances were, were right. So I've not done Riot Act to be a cunt or anything. I just really felt like I wanted to do it. And like I, you know, I listen to Six Music a lot at work and we would hear Helmet and Nine Inch Nails and Fugazi and then also you hear Radiohead. Like when I was growing up, the sort of the genre boundaries of you're a metalhead, you're a rock fan, you're this, you're that, they didn't exist in my village because they just didn't exist. And I would always want to cover Manic Street Preachers and Radiohead and the Arcade Fire and and stuff like that. But Bon Jaws back bon for everybody like, listening if you can hear. Wait, a on, head butting the um, mic. But <laughs> didn't you ask Metal Hammer if you could do a Manic Street Preachers picture? We nearly, <laughs> nearly got a little bit about the Manics really? in the last Metal Hammer. I'm in the last Metal Hammer, yeah, very, very <laughs> nearly. Um, there was an email sent requesting time with Nicky Wire and everything. Right. So you know, and that's fucking cool that they at least you know they they trust me enough to go like, okay, well maybe this guy. I just you know I don't believe that people just like one thing. I don't believe in this kind of. Um, unbelievable this kind of she's knocking this, this cans I, off the this table idea now. this kind of uh you know this this tribalistic idea of, of rock music well as, and as that's, that's not metal what, and right i've proved it's a false concept well i it? think like you that know, audience are just as diverse in their fucks <laughs> she's just trashing the place they're just as diverse in their tastes as you know any other sub pockets of the music community i mean I we think. recently we did a, a podcast where we reviewed our two main reviews were the national and full of hell and i was like this is exactly what i want to do you've got this very kind of hipster very like big commercially successful indie wistful kind of slow revealing alternative rock band and then you've got this unbelievably white hot grindcore band and both of them in their own little ways are totally disinterested in 
um, current trends. Yeah, and and, and continuing and, and and living within the means and the kind of the rules within the genres that they play, and they're not interested in conforming to the rules that those bands. And you know, I love the idea that a metal fan who hears talking about Full of Hell will go, I might listen to that, that band, The National, or some national fan might go, oh, they're reviewing a new national album. I'll listen to these guys and will then straight away be told that an album just as good as that brilliant new national album is a brilliant new grindcore album. And why wouldn't you want to listen to both those things? What is the problem with wanting to listen to both those things? Like I said before, man, I always go, I love Converge. I love the Pet Shop Boys. And I love them equally and for completely different reasons. But that is the breadth. That's music, isn't it? That's what is so fucking cool about music. You know, it's um, it, it's for every conceivable human emotion. There is a song for it. There is a moment for it. There is a, you know, there's a sound, there's a, a tone, there's a feeling, there's a, something that evokes those exact emotions, you know. I, Let me ask you this. Did your music taste change over the course of last year whilst you were going through this world of hell? Did you find yourself delving into specific areas more than you usually would? avoiding certain things that you would usually be listening to like did it shape your your musical diet in that way not really there's some stuff that's hard to listen to i mean stage four by touche and more i should say actually like to come even after so after christmas i had a good time at christmas i had a lovely christmas with my mum come back after christmas and as you know literally two months after christmas um my mum calls me and says i've got terminal cancer so i've got that going on as well at the moment um but she had it when I was 20 and I've actually another, I've been on the stage, the the, the um, track three podcast with a comedian called Gabrielle Bulu and I talked about this song, um, Flowers to You, which is the open track on stage four. And I've had this relationship with that album and that song where, you know, it's a song essentially about the singer's um, journey uh, and being on tour the year after his mum dies of cancer. And... I listened to that when it first came out and I listened to it with the ears of somebody who uh, was was 20 when his mum was going through chemotherapy and I was at university and I wasn't really there and I wasn't really very good. And it kind of, you know, um, I think I said it once before that, you know, when you're feeling like shit, no one can come up to you and go, I know how you feel. But a song can go, that's how you feel. That's, cat, that's what? a cat having a poo. That's yeah. what that sound that's is. Cat for fuck's sake. Sorry, mate. Shit's like a motherfucker <laughs> at the moment. It's just, I've got a new Felix. No, that's, she's not. She's scratching your back. No, no. That's what she's doing. It's totally undermines uh, my, my point as well. Um, but then I'm listening to Shall I just shut the door? Fucking lock her in or she'll go nuts. She'll go fucking nuts if you do that. Oh. <laughs> You'll be up in seconds. But um, yeah, she, but so like, I listened to that with another kind of perspective as in, like, I guess this is going to happen to me soon. And I know that I'm going to have another way in which I'm going to listen to it when my mum, unfortunately, will eventually. Like, we don't know where it's going to be, but that is that is going to happen. So for all that to happen within sort of 12 months, it's been a bit of a fucking crazy time. But I'm really glad that I do have a podcast that is, you know, me and Renfrew are friends and we're very, very um, excitable with each other when it, we come to do it. We we love doing it we love talking about all the different things that we can do um and the different albums that we can cover we've got a very different taste he's really funny um and he's a nice dude and it's a really kind of it's a really 50 50 
thing where we both decide exactly what it is that we're going to cover and you know and um and i've also noticed you know the sort of people that do come up to me and talk about it now are the sort of i don't want this to sound shitty but they're the sort of people that i go i think you and i would get on quite well do you know what i mean when they come up to me and like people have come up to me with a bronx t-shirt on and gone why didn't you cover foals i fucking love that like a dude in a Bronx t-shirt. I was employed. I was in, employed to serve the other day. Was he wearing a Bronx t-shirt? The dude came up to me in the employed to serve show and was like, oh, "I really wish you'd reviewed the Foles album." And those two bands don't sound anything like each other. They're completely different. And I just thought that's so cool that this guy's come up and he's like, "I really like the podcast." Um, and then and then said that at that gig about that band. I, you know, there's no reason why we can't all just enjoy every the only genre that matters is quality exactly that right Stephen. Yeah. i'm not sure whether i nicked that or whether i invented it but i'm going to claim it <laughs> you can't claim I can't, that i can't claim that i've been saying that for years <laughs> <laughs> i guess when you hang out with someone so much you just think all oh, these sayings and phrases are your own but they may be all yours maybe yeah like yeah, when you because i've obviously named all the tears on my patreon page after acdc songs yeah and you're like there he goes again impersonating bon scott and brian <laughs> yeah. johnson he like it. it's his yeah um dude First of all, mm. thank you for uh, going to some difficult places. I can appreciate that must have been hard at times, but hopefully it was therapeutic as well. Yeah, man, it's been cool. Well, it's, we it doesn't. I forgot. I kind of forgotten that this is even on. Yeah, apart. I from wonder the... how many people give a fuck as well. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that is the, the other thing that I was always. I'm, I'm already a bit like I don't know how many people give a fuck about this. Well, I'm at a point now where I've done a hundred episodes, and hopefully, in the same way that you guys have an audience that you feel like you'd get on with that person in real life. Mm. I'm hoping that after a hundred episodes and a certain style of conversation and a, quite a broad range of guests on my show as well, that hopefully people now know that whoever the guest is going to be, I wouldn't have put them on the show if I didn't think that the story wasn't going to be, you know, interesting and engaging and inspiring. Cause that's what this show is about for me is getting people on. Nothing bums me out more than when you start an interview and you're like, Oh, this is about as good as this is going to get. <laughs> and it should be like a roller coaster where it goes to all these crazy places and you come out of it at the end feeling like you've learned something and, and gone on a bit of a journey. And I knew this would be that. Um, so thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 